You're listening to Exec Insights, conversations about Australian business and the changing world, brought to you by QUT Executive Education. I'm Kate Joyner from QUT Graduate School of Business, and with me is a colleague in the Graduate School, Aubrey Warren. As well as being a colleague, um, Aubrey teaches leadership and communication um, to our postgraduate students. He's also an executive coach and a writer. Most recently, Aubrey wrote with Tim Baker and someone else who also teaches with me in the Graduate School of Business here at QUT. He, they both wrote Conversations at Work, Promoting a Culture of Conversation in the Changing Workplace. Hi, all. Hi. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for being my very first subject. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> this is kind of exciting and daunting all at once. Like exciting. Well, yeah, exactly. I sort of thought the same thing. Well, I'll actually start with the second part of that title, mm. which is um, certainly uh, the culture of conversations in the changing workplace. So do you think like the nature of our conversations have actually changed in the workplace, maybe in the last decade? Because mm. I'm actually just reading um, so Tom Friedman's new book um, called uh, Thank You For Being Late, but his premise is that things started to change fundamentally about 2007, mm. and I have to read exactly why he thinks that. But So 2007, nearly there, nearly a decade from from 2007. So do you think in that 10 years our conversations have actually changed? I think they're probably changing a lot. You know, I think about when I started work back in the 1780s, um, that there were were very, (laughs) shortly thereafter, I'm not quite that old, but but there was was very much a hierarchical kind of structure and and that as much as we talk about that not existing anymore, we talk about flattened hierarchies Mm. and structures and informality and all of those things. It, it's a reality that there's still a tension. That mm. on the one hand, we know that's the way that it should be and it'd be mm. richer if it was that way and we have little pockets of it, there are moments of it. Mm. And then it's like we also have the rigidity. Mm. And I think under pressure and maybe, I don't know whether 2007, 2008 with the GFC, mm. under pressure we tend to revert back to that control mechanism, we, we pull back in, and with mm. that comes, I think, the hierarchy, the hierarchy. and maybe the formality. And mm. that kind of makes sense in, in times of pressure. You want clarity of communication. You want a single message. You want people who take charge. Mm. I think of the floods in, in Brisbane. I was just thinking exactly the there same. We are. And we, yeah. we were so glad that there was a hierarchy, really. In Absolutely. A way. The hierarchy yeah. had its purpose, but then the emergent um, conversations were important too. We needed both, didn't we? Exactly. And, mm. and, and that... It's a, it's a model that I often refer to because we do talk about uh, the need for informal communication. Mm. We talk about the sharing of information. We talk about that emergent approach as being mm. incredibly rich and part of collaboration. And on the other side of it, we need the command and control, the directive uh, mm. communication. Mm. And even when you talk to people who work in those emergency service areas and the military and so on, that we typically associate with a, with a top-down command and control structure, one-way mm. communication, they also know that in the aftermath of the crisis of the critical event, if you're going to learn, the after action mm. review type stuff mm. requires that you break those barriers down where mm. you can be transfer- uh, transparent and vulnerable about what's yeah. happening. Transparent and so, vulnerable. Yeah, we, yeah. Need, we need both. Mm. So I think, and yeah, the floods was a great example. Mm. I remember sitting, we were on the Gold Coast at the time, and I was sitting there watching the television saying, Campbell Newman, tell me what to do. <laughs> what, what to do I've got to take my own shovel. And I was making notes. And, yeah. and it was great to have somebody who just seemed to know what was going on. Yeah. As we know from history, it didn't work out so well in a different context. It, it didn't translate as effectively. Yeah, so, that's right. So it does depend on context or abs- what, yeah. kind, what, what is the nature, what's facing your organisation exactly, yeah. at the time. Yeah. Which I think, going back to your original question about the, the nature of conversations, 
I think our expectation about conversations has changed mm. and our expectations of leadership increasingly mm. <laughs> become mm. more and more demanding. Mm. Uh, the, the barrier, the, 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 um, the expectations get higher and higher and we need people to be adaptable, genuinely to mm. be adaptable in their communication style, which is not unreasonable. Mm. If we want the people that we're working with to be adaptable, then we have to be adaptable ourselves and mm. not least in the, in the ways that we communicate. Yeah, in the way that we communicate. So, yeah, when I was reading your book, it did seem you did talk about mindset you know, mm. quite a lot. So, yeah. And it did occur to me that um, we need to think about uh, what assumptions we bring to the conversations yeah. that we're having. Yeah. yeah. So, And you do talk uh, quite usefully about the psychological contract, yeah. uh, traditional and yeah. new psychological contracts. Yeah. Um, and I think... Um, so Reid Hoffman wrote, um, who was ex-CEO of LinkedIn. So okay. he wrote um, uh, Tours of Duty. I don't know if you've seen that one, but they no. talk about the new compact. So we oh, would say yeah, psychological yeah. contract. So it is that we need to be upfront about our, our expectations of each other, mutual expectations yeah. in organisations. So that um, we are upfront that um, we, as employees, may not mm. stay here for a long time and yeah. we as employers may not want you to stay yeah. for a long time. So that brings a new dimension, I suppose, to um, ideas about developmental conversations and, mm. and our assumptions. And I think you, you do talk about this in the book with Tim, is that um, we conversations, particularly in the developmental space, performance appraisals, mm. tend to be um, a little bit dry and maybe what... Um, Lindsay Gratton and Samantha Grosha will talk about as dehydrated. Dehydrated talk. Task-related. Yeah. Task so, yeah. um, yes, and that um, I think perhaps we need to question that assumption. I think that was in your book. Is that about, um, you know, what, what are these conversations all about, really? Yeah, what are we trying to achieve? If, yeah. if they're developmental conversations, mm. if, if that, you know, you go back to expectations of leaders and, and one of the things that we talk about is, you know, leaders should create leaders, and I know that can get a bit overdone. Mm. But fundamentally, is it not about bringing out the best in other people? Mm. You know, maximising, whether you want to look at that in purely transactional terms, what can you bring to, to my mm. team, my company, my project? Or what is my or, expectation of you? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, mm. and, and then how do, I, how do I enable you to make the best possible contribution you can make? Mm. Now, that's developmental and the way that that's going to be communicated is through the conversations that we have every day. Mm. And so, yeah, Tim's written his his previous book was the end of the performance review, and we, yes. we included it in this one because mm. of that dehydrated nature of it, and mm. and his work, and you know, in, informally, anecdotally, most people will say performance reviews. My goodness, and the room kind of goes quiet, and the I eyes know. roll, and yeah. and everybody says, oh yeah, it's one of those things we have to do. And you think, yeah. well, what a wasted opportunity. Ne neither side is actually comfortable with it. Mm. You're not comfortable. Mm stepping formally into that power role and, and, mm. and holding up your flip chart and, and telling me that I'm four out of five or seven out of ten. And what I mean? <laughs> everybody gets a seven. That's my you know <laughs> we all, we that, all go everybody gets a seven. Nice? Oh, we all revert to the mean yeah. yeah. And, and what what's a seven mean anyway? Yeah. I mean I, I like the notion Mark McCurgow from the social uh, solutions focused group, he he says if you're going to do those sorts of conversations then at least give people a range to operate in yeah. and ask them where they see themselves as being a five out of five or a 10 out of oh, 10. Because okay. there's probably something that you're yeah. just awesome at, might just be going home, but there's something that we're all awesome at and that should be acknowledged. And then with that out on the table, then there's room to say, yeah, there's some other stuff that I kind of suck at. Suck and, at, um, yeah. So are you saying probably that the, the, um, so I as an employee maybe should initiate that kind of 
Yeah. I remember you type conversation if we're going well, to engage in it. Well, it was interesting. Uh, recently, I was at a, a workshop run by one of Google's people leaders. Oh, yeah. And I'd just been doing some reading around some of, some of the stuff that they do. And she talked about their uh, principles around transparency. And one of, the, one of the things that she said is that they do quarterly, I think, reviews of how they're performing against their target objectives or something like that. They've got a, a name for it. And it actually starts at the top. So mm-hmm. if you're the top of the organisation, mm-hmm. you go first. Oh, okay. And yep. and and you tell the organisation, this is this is how I'm doing. Mm, this is how I'm doing. Yeah, and then yeah. It, then it cascades down. Yeah. And I think that's that's not a bad model. Well, you know, if we all make ourselves a bit vulnerable about um, and having what they call a growth growth mindset, that's yeah. very popular at the moment yeah. too, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. That. Um, and I think that's a key word, yeah. and, which goes to the harder conversations. Mm. What what are your best conversations? The best conversations are where you have a little aha moment or mm. where we get um, that sort of mind share about something. And, and mm. that doesn't always mean being in furious agreement, but actually mm. getting clarity about what we're talking about and what matters. What matters. And really, really going to town on it. I mean, some of the mm. best conversations in, in workplaces are where people actually disagree, but they disagree about the topic, mm. not about each other's view of it, mm. not trying to correct each other or mm. anything, but... But actually, say, I, I can see, I see what you mean, and mm. I, I can see how that would work. Mm. But honestly, I'm just really uncomfortable with it. Yeah, I'll, well, and I'll be honest, and that's yeah. um, labelling an emotion, isn't it? That, exactly. That, um, yeah. Being uncomfortable with yeah. it. Yeah, it would seem to me that I mean, the, this year, 2016, brought this into furious light. Oh, how yeah. capable we are of actually yeah. having a constructive conversation that's about issues and doesn't immediately escalate into yeah. well you know you're a, <laughs> the Americans say you're a jackass <laughs> <laughs> there's <laughs> been a lot of that about yeah, yeah. That, um, it's a bit it's, of skill in that because you've got to there's a bit of emotional regulation around it um, and and most of most of the advice around um, you know difficult conversations mm-hmm. and this has been a year for them but I think mostly mm-hmm. we've avoided them because uh-huh. it my sense, and you know, whether you talk politics here or in an amplified sense in, in the recent US election, mm. is a lot of people shouting at each other. Mm. And nobody, you know, when was the last time you listened to a political disagreement mm. between people and actually thought one side or the other learned something from it? Yes, where I always, you know, uh, if going into a discussion that there seems to be a lot of heat and not a lot of light um i try to Isn't avoid those yeah i want, I want a bit of light yeah. uh, if, and you, if right. you can illuminate something for me i'm all yours yeah. even if i disagree yeah. with you um if you it's... make something clear that um we've progressed the ball i think yeah mm. and i think go back to to that word vulnerability that you you were talking about before I think there's a real opportunity in there because all of the advice on difficult conversations comes back to a couple of fundamental principles. And one of the first ones is um, be clear about what you're talking about. Mm. And the second one is you can only actually manage yourself. Mm. Thank you. You you can't manage me Mm. in any conversation, Mm. but you can manage yourself. Mm. And so I often say to to people in workshops, as long as one of you stays somewhat sane in the Mm. conversation, there's a chance you'll make Mm. some progress. But if you're both going nuts, mm. then just sell tickets and at least get entertainment value out of it because that's about all that's there. There's, there's so much heat but, but not much light. But I think if, especially in that leadership space, one of the things we look for from people in responsible roles, whether it's formal or informal, is that sense of calmness. Mm. So when things yeah. are going crazy, if someone can be calm mm. and maintain the flow of communication, mm. the conversation... 
If you can, keep your head well all about you. Ah, that's... Your head, <laughs> <laughs> you'll be a man, my son. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And and we need that. But mm. but I'm, I'm worried that we're losing, at least in the public space, mm the the modeling of that it's almost mm. like who can shout the loudest and who mm. can who can win most people on their their side and it's, mm. it's really it, it's quite sad mm. uh, about, I, I guess you know winning people to your side um i think in, in you, you and tim do talk about the use of social media in organizations mm. and the use of yammer um so it's kind of circling back to an earlier point i think but um does that is there any evidence that that's kind of uh democratizing communication and decision making mm. or is it amplifying some poor things and um, maybe having it like most things it has it has an upside and some, and some yeah. downside yeah what do we know I I don't know a lot about it mm. but I think you've just summarized what I do know about it pretty well mm. that it's both mm. so we're amplifying and, you, and you're getting this this sort of echo chamber effect I think that's okay. one of the downsides of social media is is we can end up in in worlds in which we're in furious agreement mm. and not again there can be lots of heat but not a lot of light. Mm. Uh, the other side of it is there are, it, it's got wonderful potential. Uh, we, we, there's an example in the book from, I think it's the value, value chain um, organisation in the US where they actually asked across the business for people to engage in the issues that they were dealing with. Mm. One of my favourite examples goes back a few years in the UK to the National Health Service mm. where a throwaway comment at a conference from somebody who said, you know, if you have an idea for how things could be improved here, just put it out there on social media and see what happens. Mm. And so somebody in, in the audience said, hmm, we could do that, and started it up internally. And they mm. got some tens of thousands of ideas mm. and then actually took responsibility for operationalizing them each. And it's been continuing ever since. And it's, I think it's a great way to tap the wisdom that's out there mm. and give a somewhat unfiltered opportunity for ideas to, mm. to come up and they're not all great ideas. Yeah, so they can be, to be the unfiltered. That's the key to mm. it. Because I did hear that, you know, when we try to hopefully introduce things like Yammer into our organisations, if you're allowed to, um, yeah. is that uh, as soon as there's a whiff of hierarchy about it, like the CEO yeah. is looking and vetting, it yeah. does seem to kill yeah. any those kind of innovative um, initiatives that you want. Yeah. Which is back to mm. what you were talking about earlier about the psychological contract. Mm. The, the, the expectation is that we will be permitted to share our views mm. and that we won't have Big Brother censoring and, and editing. Mm. And isn't it better to know what's being thought and said than to force it back into the dark corners? I mean, it's well, always I there. So. I mean, you know, mm. we used to call it the grapevine mm. and, and it, it still exists, but but if we can have sort of a more open grapevine, then there's an opportunity to say, you know what, that's rubbish. Mm. Um, he, here are the facts. Or, mm. eh, it's kind of 50% 50, 50 right, 50% wrong. Mm. Um, here, here's the actual story. So when um, organisations approach you, and I know they do and they want to, perhaps they grasp the idea that we you know, want a culture of conversations, mm. um, that um, where would you start exactly? <laughs> how, how does that process work? Yeah. Uh, Ideally, it starts at or very near the top. Okay because the reality is what's modelled and what people experience from their leaders mm. sends its own very powerful signal. Mm. So we trust what we see. The brain's a visual processor and we look for the, the visual cues, what's really going on around mm. here. So as um, Chris Aguirre's talked about the, the espoused values and the values in action, and, mm. and we're always biased to values in action. And one of the most common questions that comes out of workshops is people sit there and go, this is really good. 
because they always say it's really good in my workshops. Oh. Um, <laughs> and they say, this is really good, but yes. has my boss done this? Ah. And if the boss hasn't done it, you can almost, what well, you do, sometimes you see the shoulders slump or the sideways look like, mm. well, is this because really going to go? Change, but it'll have no that's that's it. Yeah. yeah. So ideally, you start at or near the top. Mm. At least get that that buy-in, that endorsement is really important. Mm. And then my process is you have to start with the individual. What do you know about yourself in terms of of the ways in which you communicate? Mm. And so I really, you know, unashamedly introduce the idea of conversations and just get people having conversations with each other, mm. and then ask them. Talk about the power of conversation, mm. the fact that organisations are conversations. Mm. That's our experience of our teams, of our relationships, of the projects, of our clients. It always comes back to the conversation. Mm. And the conversation that we have today is shaped by the last conversation we have. Mm. And our next conversation is in the process of being shaped by this one. Mm. So it, it's a very relational and, and, and uh, living, dynamic thing. Mm. And when you introduce power in that as mm. well... Now it just gets amplified because mm. everything you say and do or mm. don't say and don't do just gets amplified. And, mm. and I think we have to remind people in, in leadership roles that the higher up you go, the bigger the picture gets to people. Mm. You know, mm. they're, they're watching mm. and listening and paying a lot more attention. Mm. So I st- just start with the, this notion of this very mundane idea of conversations, but their, their power. Mm. And then ask people, where do you have your best conversations mm. and why? Mm. And it's fascinating that invariably people come back unprompted. They come come back to, where, where do I have my best conversations? Uh, over coffee. Over coffee. So it's the Outside informal. the office, it's the yeah. informal. And mm. we've known for a long time that, that informal communication is much more powerful mm. than formal communication because mm. we switch from that kind of critical judgment assessment, mm. analytical approach to being participants in what's going on. There's, there's a a more of a sense. Yeah. So that's what we've got to kind of try to yeah. Um, yeah. So to break, so I'm thinking you, we try to break down hierarchy and status wherever, although, you yeah. know, having said that, it's not, you know. It'll always be there. Quickly, yeah. It'll always be there. Mm. And again, it's back to that adaptability. Mm. Um, and what Goffey and Jones talk about, a wonderful book called Why Should Anyone Be Led By You?, and they talk about managing closeness and distance. Mm-hmm. There are times to be close and then there are times to be distant mm. and, and being able to switch between the two mm. because going back to what we said before, there are times when all the eyes in the room turn to you and say, Kate, tell us what to do. Mm. And, yep. and, and maybe that's what we need at, at mm. that moment. And there are other times where you're, you might be the first among equals at the table. Mm. So Yeah, there is an art to that. To knowing when oh, to, yeah. to make the call and knowing when to throw it open yeah, uh, yeah. and when to be a participant and yeah. when to call shots. Because yeah. mm. we do but, need to call shots occasionally, don't we? Absolutely. And people do look for that. Yeah. Yeah. So is everyone capable of improving the nature and the quality of their conversation? Yeah. I think if they want to. Mm. Some people tend, you know, just as we all have natural inherent strengths or talents in certain areas, it's more comfortable for some than others. Mm. But... We're often talking about coaching as an essential leadership skill. Mm, What's that? We talk a lot about that. We talk yeah. a lot about that here, particularly, and for yeah. good reason. Yeah, we do. Um, back to the developmental, back to the psychological contract, mm. uh, back to the culture of the organisation. Um, and that's a conversation. It's an intentional conversation, but it's a conversation. Mm. And so, you know, there, there are skills in conversation, and, and probably mm. the preeminent one is being able to listen. Mm. I mean, it's, it's not a new thought. I think it was Dale Carnegie who said in, that, in his book... Um, 
how to win friends and influence people. You'll mm. you'll win more friends in in three minutes of listening than three hours of talking. I know it's perennial, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah, it's amazing well, how Dalkit Carnegie is still. Uh, it still most, works. I know it's still, it's still <laughs> often talked about yeah. Um, business books. Yeah. So uh, and um, you know that's an art in itself, isn't mm. it? The art of listening. Um, yes, and and just to complete that that oh, yeah. thought um, about. Can people learn these skills? It, mm-hmm. it is challenging and it's not uncommon to get a bit of pushback around, oh, this stuff about having conversation. We, we haven't got time for conversations. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we get that. But it's funny that we never seem, it's easy to say we don't have time for those conversations, the developmental conversations, the after action review, the collaboration, mm-hmm. whatever it might be, it, even just the coffee conversation, the, the get acquainted, um, show some interest in people. We haven't got time for that. When we get our work done, then we'll have those conversations. Well, we never seem to have time to invest in those conversations, but we always have time to pay with interest when things go wrong. Mm. We've always got time mm. to be dragged through the mm. mediation, to mm. be dragged through, but you know, you said, they said, mm. we said, we didn't explain that very well, mm. and unpack it all. And that, that's, it's not wasted time, it's essential, but mm. what a shame when, mm. if we'd invested in the connections up front that mm. enable better conversations, then mm. we can really get to the collaboration a lot more quickly. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a stretch zone. The, mm. There are people who take readily yeah. to it and, and mm others who learn it, but usually when they've been in that environment, one of the things I love is working with, with teams who then go away and they do some work and they come back to report to each other about what I tried and how it went. And one of the interesting things, especially when the groups of supervisors or managers, leaders across different parts of the organisation, is when they get back and talk about their experience, they almost invariably go into this other conversation, which is about the conversation they're having there. And they say, we don't do this enough. Mm. And all the heads nod. Mm. We don't actually spend time together as peers mm. being vulnerable with each other yeah. and mm. saying, this is what I'm struggling with. Have, mm. have you got some advice for me? Can, mm. you, can you coach me? Mm. It, it's, a, it's a fascinating process. And I mm. think it speaks to the value of, of the conversation. So do you reckon that face-to-face is still the gold standard? It's pretty yeah. hard to beat because mm. there's so much going on. Mm. It's, um, you know, we say it's synchronous. Mm. And so we can we can check out the apparent misunderstanding, you know, um, the, the fact that you nodded in response to something or that you had a furrowed brow or or whatever it is. We can read those mm. those nonverbal cues. It, it's it's incredibly rich. And we do get into that kind of mind share space. And, mm. and they say that when we when we strike that rapport, mm. that our brains actually fire in the same ways, which kind of turbocharges the sense making. Mm. As soon as you put some distance in, and, and technology is getting much, much better. I mean, some, some of the video yes, resources now is fantastic. Yeah, I I, it's, it's nearly as good it's as. It's nearly as good as, yeah. 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 At, at least it allows us to see each other. Mm. And when, in the better platforms like that, when somebody talks over the top, it doesn't, everything doesn't just crash. <laughs> It would be, wouldn't that be bizarre in face-to-face conversations if we, we both talked at the same time and everything just stopped and it was like, it would be weird, yeah. but we, we, we compensate for it, but it does throw the conversation in video. So it's nice that that's really improving. Mm. Um, well, I think, I mean, I like this as a first topic because conversations at work, it's a very democratic, uh, democratic kind of concept. Mm. So we're not maybe all involved in finance. We may all not be involved in strategy, but um, we all have conversations. And if we can get the conversations going across disciplines like that, think mm. how much yeah. better coordinated and smarter we can become. One of the That's, themes we're certainly working uh, on here. Um, but thanks all.
Thank that you, was, Kate. Uh, that's the end. Of, but there's one final thing. Mm. So um, I've been thinking about what would, uh, you know, some, a signature sort of thing for a podcast. And I would like just to, I think I've modelled this on the Slate Political Gab Fest, probably a direct take. They have what they call cocktail chatter. So just something uh-huh. that's caught your attention. Yeah, so I, th- I think we're in that exciting and, and unnerving mm. connected world. So I've been going back through the seventh sense and how I got onto that was in the Northern Hemisphere summer, they produce, you know, what are, what are leaders going to be reading this summer? Mm. And so I looked through the list and one title kept popping up. It was called The Seventh Sense. And uh, I thought, well, I should see what they're all reading about. Mm. And it's very similar stuff. It's, it's about this richly connected world that we live in. The fact that everything is connected moves at a completely different speed and that we don't have the the instinct to, to deal with it and that mm. the leaders of the future will have what he's calling a seventh sense mm. to be able to instinctively understand the power and the potential of this connected world. Mm. And I have to confess, I do not have it. I'm, I'm struggling to get past five senses <laughs> and, and I can kind of see it. And, and his, one of his arguments is the, the formal leadership of our world, the typical mm. power structures, mm have no clue at all. And I can mm. completely get that because mm. we were raised in a different age. We're kind of looking over the fence at this new world. Yes. Now that you mention it, I think I did, um, I probably downloaded the sample, you know, from, yeah, from yeah. Amazon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. To say, yes, we're just yeah. not evolved. We haven't evolved no. far enough at the moment to and really capture. Yeah. Interestingly, he starts the book by talking about a Chinese master, Master Nan, mm. who's now in his 90s, mm. who actually encourages that notion of calm that we were talking about before, mm. the importance of actually not simply getting swept along and reacting to everything that's mm. happening, but noticing, so mindfulness, if you like, mm. so that we can actually get some sort of a grasp on what's happening and what mm. its potential is, so we're mm. not reacting or being overwhelmed by it, mm. but developing an instinct for it. It's kind of counterintuitive mm. that to speed up, we need to slow down. Mm. Yeah, I'll have to. I think I probably did download that at the time, yeah. so I'll have to go back and have a look at that one. It's another one of those kind of exciting slash scary question mark, what next let's, let's <laughs> type books. Excited, yeah, let's. <laughs> As we go into Christmas, let's stay with excitement. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Aubrey. So I'll be seeing Thank you, you Kate. Uh, yeah, in one of our seminar rooms. Yes. Yeah. Enjoy the Christmas break. Thank See you. you next year. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Exec Insights. For more information about QUT's executive education programs, please search QUT Executive Education and you'll find a full range of our programs and services.